All right. Matthew chapter 12. We're continuing our series in the, in the gospel of Matthew. And uh, Jesus is going to be uh, on the move. He's going to be traveling. Uh, and, and just like you would imagine, Jesus can do nothing without drawing attention and something coming up. Uh, he's always ministering. He's always thinking. He's always paying attention. Uh, and sometimes the Pharisees are too. Uh-oh, we said Pharisees. That's right. They're going to cause a ruckus, and, uh, and Jesus is going to solve it. And uh, It's a great passage. Very excited. I had a lot of fun first service, and, um, and I forgot something. So you're going to have a second service extra this morning. But uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Lord, thanks for uh, Bryson Trees, for sure. And thank you for things like Camp and Camp Rock, uh, for our students, our kids, our spouses. Uh, Lord, for some of us, thanks for our singleness, because that's what you have for us right now. But Lord, thank you for you, first and foremost. Thank you that we can be reminded through those types of events and through those relationships and through this morning, through your word, that there's something greater going on than just us. And we know our culture is self-centered. We know it's a human nature to be self-focused. And pray, Lord, that you'd help cure us of that. Train us. Draw us in. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that this morning. Through this worship time, uh, through this passage, may you use it, may you use your spirit to guide us, to honor you and your son. And we pray it in his name, Jesus' name, we pray it. Amen. Uh, Jesus has been teaching. He's been doing a lot of different things. And now he's going to go for a walk. Ready? Pharisees are going to show up. Disciples are going to get in trouble. Uh, and we're going to get a little story. And then we're going to get a lesson. Jesus is going to tell us a story. And he's going to uh, use some logic on us. And it's going to take us to some fun little places. So uh, rather than sell you with a commercial, let's just get into it. Ready? Uh, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields. A grain field has what in the field? Grain is used for food. Okay, good. You're following. Uh, on the Sabbath. What do we know about Sabbath? On Sabbath, you're not allowed to do work. It's the... The holy day, right? Six days the Lord worked. The seventh day God rested. We're to rest on the Sabbath. At least that's what the Old Testament rule was. Uh, and so you weren't allowed to do anything. If Jesus is walking through the grain fields with his disciples, his disciples were hungry, you have a problem. Because if the disciples are hungry and you're walking by grain fields, uh, they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. Uh, what happens when you walk by is you can pluck a grain. And did you know in, in the little act of plucking a grain and lifting it to your mouth, you have just done what? You worked. It doesn't feel like work to me. It feels normal, you know. Uh, but apparently that's enough to be a violation. It's kind of amazing to me. I, I w was in Israel. We were on in an elevator on the Sabbath. Did you know that the act of pushing a button in an elevator 
on the Sabbath in Israel is considered work. Apparently, there are people that will either, they will get in the elevator when the door opens, they will walk in and they will stand there till somebody else comes that can push the button for them. Wow. So you're willing to let me break the Sabbath, but you won't do it yourself. Thanks for the setup of getting me in trouble with God. What I'm really curious about is when they uh, put in voice-activated elevators. When they get in the elevator, if they say, third floor, please, is that work? Because they've activated the, I don't know. Uh, but it's amazing to me the, the amount of laws, rules, restrictions that we come up with. Because uh, last I looked, I couldn't find elevator button in the Bible. Right? Uh, but they do these kind of things. Uh, the boys are walking through and they, it doesn't say Jesus did, but it says the disciples plucked heads of grain and, eat, and ate. Verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw it, oh no. They said to him, look, your disciples, it's a little very um, punitive your there, right? Not the disciples. Hey, they are. No, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Hey, Jesus, teacher, attention getter, crowd drawer, miracle faker, your guys are breaking the law. Tell us about the law. What do you have to say? Now, when you're a 13-year-old little boy and you're figuring out how this all works and you read this for one of the first times, kind of freaks you out because I'm thinking Jesus is in trouble. His guys are breaking the rules and it's Sabbath and the rules are, I, I grew up very kind of black and white. There was yeses and nos and there was getting trouble or not getting trouble and do's and don'ts. It was very um, type A, if you will, maybe a little undiagnosed OCD. I'm watching this and I'm thinking like the Pharisees think, boy, Jesus is in trouble because I had yet to learn. We're dealing with somebody more than just a man. See, Jesus actually makes the rules. You want to know about the law, Pharisees? Well, it's a good thing you asked Jesus because he's the one who came up with the law. He's the holder of the law. And more importantly in all, than all of that and which laws and rules and ordinances we're supposed to, precepts that we're supposed to follow, how about we start asking, why do we have them? Why follow them? What's the result? Purpose behind them. Where are we going with it? What are the priorities? Or are we just blindly following rules? If I can't push a button in an elevator, I, want, I really want to know why. Rather than just give me a rule and expect me to follow it. Here come the Pharisees. Uh, they're all uptight and they're asking the perfect person the question about the law verse 3 he says to them have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him but only for the priests 
Pharisees come in, they see what the guys are doing in the grain field, they say, we have zero respect for you, we have zero respect for your disciples, Uh, you're breaking the law, what do you have to say? What are they failing to acknowledge? They are failing to acknowledge the kingship, the lordship of Christ. Now, benefit of the doubt, maybe they have yet to see enough have uh, be have it explained to them enough maybe they need a little more experience with him a few more conversations witness some miracles because uh quite frankly we have 2000 years of history and a lot of more books in our bible and a lot more accounts or it's easier for us to kind of get it for them maybe maybe they're coming from behind day late dollar short kind of thing but they're talking to the king And Jesus is starting to explain to them, wait, you're missing the point of why we have laws in the first place. We have laws in the first place in order to follow God. We don't have a God in order to follow laws. You've got it mixed up. But since you will not recognize me as king and Lord, Let's reference someone who you do respect, who you will acknowledge. Let's, let's reference the greatest king that you've ever had, King David. You know, before he was king, do you remember what he did? What Jesus is saying is, wait, haven't you read 1 Samuel chapter 21? No? When David showed up and Nod runs into Ahimelech the priest with his uh, guys on his little journey. Journey, by the way, that he had been commanded to do by the king. Secret mission. Not supposed to tell anybody. Doesn't even tell Ahimelech the priest. Priest says, what are you doing? Says, I can't tell you. Then I'd have to kill you. He says, well, what do you need? I said, we're all hungry. Ahimelech says this. Love it. He says, I don't have any ordinary bread. I only have holy bread. What a great statement. I want to be able to say that. I am working to a point. I want to be able to say that at some day in my future. Sorry, I don't have any ordinary bread. I only have holy bread. Kind of fun. Well, now they're in a predicament. Ahimelech and David have this discussion about the journey that they're on. In honor and obedience to the king. Right? And what he does is he says, hey, on an ordinary journey, we'd be okay. But this is even, it's beyond an ordinary journey. It's a sacred journey. It's a more important journey. It's commanded by the king journey. We're going to honor the king in what we're doing along the way. And so we're not going to worry about what the bread is or not because As vessels of the king, we are considered holy, therefore we can eat. That's a little bit longer version of the story. But it's kind of like Jesus says to him, wait, you won't acknowledge me as king, but let's talk about one of your former kings and what he did. You know, he did not honor the presence. He did not honor uh, the sacred places. He did not honor the holy bread. Because why? Why? Because he was on a journey for the king. It's very ironic. A little double meaning going on, right? Because this discussion that the Pharisees are having Jesus, they're having it with the king. Not from the king. They're having it with the king who is on a journey. Therefore, his vessels would be considered holy. 
he spoke their language in a way that they should have understood what was really going on. In fact, they should have known Nod, Ahimelech, David, should have all made sense. Bread of the presence. And it's almost like uh, they'd forgotten what has become an affliction for us today. We say things like, you know, the ends justify the means. You ever heard that before? Strike it. Strike it from your use. Because what it's saying is where you end up, well, that's what's important. How you get there doesn't matter if you end up in the right place. Whoa. No, it does matter how you carry yourself. I, I, I thought that for years. Ends justify the means. Well, you know what that means? That means you could cheat, steal, beg, borrow, whatever. I mean, you could do connive. Yeah, but I ended up at church on Sunday. What? No. Monday through Saturday, we're an atrocity. Just coming on Sunday, that's, that's not the point of it. Uh, quite a few years back, about 15 years ago, I had a, a pastor, a friend of mine, mentor, guy I look up to, respect. Uh, we were having a kind of a serious discussion. He was talking about uh, saying, you know, it may be that the journey is more important than the destination. How you carry yourself along the way may be more, more important than where you end up. I was like, really? And I had to struggle with it a little bit. They started thinking about the idea of this. Where we all ended up? Heaven? Okay, well, if we're all ended up in heaven, then the end is just, it's kind of the same for everybody. So what differentiates us then? How do we get there? How do we carry ourselves until then? The Pharisees are carrying themselves in such a way that they're not honoring God. They're honoring themselves, they're honoring men. You see, they haven't figured out who Jesus is and why they had rules in the first place. Uh, they haven't figured out how to acknowledge the correct king, right? And Jesus says, well, let's tell you about the king and let's tell you about priests now. Remember only the priests were supposed to eat that bread? Or, verse five, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Have you figured out, guys, Pharisees, have you figured out that every Sabbath, every priest does work? How is it that we're breaking the rule so often? Maybe there's exceptions to the rule. Maybe the rules don't always apply. Maybe in general they're true, but if we can find exceptions to the rule, maybe you got to rethink the way you're approaching rules. I absolutely love that the guy who's telling them that there are exceptions to the rule is the one who later on the cross is going to provide an exception to the rules. You know the joy of the cross for us as Christians, right? You know the joy of the cross. Sacrifice of Jesus, his shed blood, all that kind of stuff. Yes, but kind of no. I get an exception to the rule from the cross. That's what I'm excited about. I mean, the blood of Jesus is not, it's kind of gross. 
what, did, what was accomplished by the shed blood of Christ. Many, many other things. Not just the spilling of a bodily fluid, right? There's more going on always than we know. He's trying to get that point across to the Pharisees, which um, in, in, in uh, this story for this Sunday, as we talk about it, um, which one are we again? Are we Jesus? No, usually not in any stories are we Jesus, right? That only leaves one option, right? Ready? Just a couple seconds of bummer Sunday. Ready? You're the Pharisees. Oh, did that hurt a little bit? Don't worry. I are one too. I may be worse than you as a Pharisee. There's good arguments for it. In fact, I'm saying I may be only to make myself feel a little bit better. I know I'm probably worse than you. Again, probably said in order to make me feel better. But watch what happens here. Verse 20, verse 6. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Remember when the priests went and every Sunday the priests go in and they profane the Sabbath every time in the most holy place, which is the temple. Verse 6. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Look at your outlines. At the top, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. Title, something greater. What's the verse? Verse 6. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Whoa. I love this verse. It has come to signify more than I knew. Back when I was a young high schoolish age what are you laughing that I tried to call myself young my goodness um, we had this little study thing we did like how do you talk to someone of a different faith and how do you kind of argue justify or give an apologetic as to who Christ is and um, make sense of it and we would look up all these different verses you know I and the father are one you know Jesus talking and how do we prove the Trinity through Scripture in different ways. And I, I made a list of all these. Two. This verse was not on that list of proofs that uh, Christ was God. But that's okay, because today we add it to the list. Because I, I want you to see what just happened here. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. For them, what was the temple? Was the temple the place, uh, well, it was just kind of the nice building on the top of the hill? No, it was more than that. Was the temple the place where only the priests went? No, it was more than that. Was, was the temple kind of the holy place on Sabbath? Eh, it was more than that. Is where you brought your sacrifice? No, it was more than that. To, the, to Israel, to the chosen race, what was the temple? Uh, Judy's dying to say it. I can tell her, Judy. It was the presence of God. Folks. What has just been said? Jesus says something greater than the presence of God is here. Now, truth be told, I'm nice to you guys. I'm very easy on you. Most Sundays, I ask you softball questions. Preschool level, kindergarten level. Every once in a while, we, we, we wander into maybe second grade. 
today we're going college or maybe even master's degree. Ready? This is, this is a big one. What could possibly be better than the existence of God? The presence of God. It's fascinating. He says, you know, uh, the place where you think God exists, there's something even greater than that. It's when he's present. This now being said from Jesus who's walking around. See, prior to this date, the existence of God was limited to the temple. Now he's on the loose. Absolutely love in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when they start talking about and say the phrase, Aslan is on the loose. Aslan being the God figure in the story. What's great about that? It implies what we said right when we started the church way back. God's not done yet. If he's on the loose, if he's not done yet, if he's walking around, if he's traveling, if he's going places, what's he doing? What a great question. What's he doing? Can he do it with me? It's this idea that something greater than the existence of God is here. What's greater? God is here himself. Wow. How do we experience that? See, because the Pharisees are missing it. Pharisees are missing it, and I called you Pharisees. Kind of implies the opportunity to miss it. Um, I need not the Bible to tell me that people miss it. I see it every week. I see it every day. People who are missing God. They have access to him. They have people that know him. And they want to challenge him and ask him the wrong questions. It's rough. Tell you something greater than the temple is here, verse 7. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy in the moment. I desire your decisions in the moment. Not the sacrifice that comes after you've blown it and made the mistake. It doesn't matter. I'll just show up on Sunday and I'll pray. Uh, Scott will teach us a lesson and I'll feel better about myself. He says, no, that's not what I'm looking for. You saying you're sorry afterwards. What I'm looking for is you in the moment trying to see what is good and doing it in the moment. Being aware But you Pharisees, you've missed it. And that's why you've condemned the guiltless. I absolutely love that he says this because when you start desiring mercy over sacrifice and you live in the moment rather than, well, I'll just, I'll pay for it later. You have to start now rethinking the rules. You have to start rethinking the law. Condemnation is something that you have to reassess as to whether you even want to engage in it or have you engaged in it properly ever. And the guiltless. It makes you rethink people. 
If you understood mercy over sacrifice, then you would take a new approach to rules and people. That's translating what Jesus is trying to get across to the Pharisees. Verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says something greater than the temple is here, something greater than the Sabbath is here. In fact, the temple was meant for the Lord. Sabbath was meant for the Lord. The purpose of these things kind of implies that the law was meant for the Lord. If you have the Lord, it changes the meaning of those other three. It's like going to a burger joint and getting fries but not getting a burger. What? I, I went to a burger joint with a kid. Not my own. Praise the Lord. The Lord has not stricken me with this. But this kid ordered a burger. Bun, cheese, meat. That's it. What? You're missing out on all the cool stuff. That's just a delivery mechanism for all the other stuff. You know that temple, Sabbath, law, they're all just delivery mechanisms to get us to the good stuff. Amen? There, we turn Jesus into a combo meal. He went on from there, verse 9, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, oh, by the way, what day is it again? Sabbath. Right? You're right. We're just going to call it Sabbath, but you're right. Uh, and a man was there with a withered hand. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Do you know the answer? Let me ask the question and you just answer it. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Wait, do you need the Bible to answer this question? You, you are the image of God created in his image, male and female he created you, to understand and kind of have a gist as to what's right and what's wrong. Do you think it's right to heal on the Sabbath? Yes. Amen. Now you can help me work on first service, okay? <laughs> so that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Why do you use that example? Because I'm guessing that a sheep costs you something. It's money. And I'm guessing with the Pharisees that he's talking to, that's probably happened. Now he's hitting home. Don't worry. He'll never do that with you. <laughs> of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Yes. It is. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You want to know the law? Well, let me give you an addendum to the law, Jesus says. I decide what's good. And here's when good is holy or lawful. He says on Sabbath. But if he's saying on Sabbath, what does he really mean? Every day, always. Not just Monday or Sunday through Friday, but for them, Saturday, Sabbath, every day, all the time. What, what are we supposed to be doing? You want a law? Here's your law. Do good always. Gee, that's only three words. Yeah, good luck. You'll never get it done. See, they're missing the point. 
Then he said to the man, can you, can you imagine being this guy? You got a crowd. The Pharisees are ticked off. They want to fight. More than a fight. It's a politically correct. They want him dead. You got a crowd everywhere. In the midst of this, you got a hand that hasn't worked. Now watch this. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. I love this. Does Jesus touch him? No. Does he give him a pill? Does he pray over him? Does he pray to God for him? We don't know that. But in the story, he, the only thing he does, he says four words, stretch out your hand. Now, Imagine you're this guy. You don't have 2,000 years of Christianity history. You don't have the full Bible. Peter, James, John, they haven't come on the scene yet. You probably don't even have full copies of the Torah, their version of the Bible. You've seen very little of what Jesus has done or taught, and you're sitting there in the midst of all these people, and now Jesus asks you to stretch out your hand. You might think he's mocking you. You might seriously doubt whether anything's going to happen. But he says, stretch out your hand. And the man says, that's faith. That's pressure. Did Jesus do good on the Sabbath? Did that man do good on the Sabbath? Yes. Wow. Missed that one first service. Not only Jesus did good on the Sabbath, that man, by his step of faith, did good on the Sabbath. And here the Pharisees were missing it. They were doing bad on the Sabbath, which is scary that that's possible. He said to the man, stretch out, your hand, and the man stretched it out. And it was what? And healthy like the other. Uh, we know two businesses that Jesus are in, is in. Healthy and restored. I love this. Uh, is, is God's store ever closed for business? No. Does God ever have that stupid little clock that says, we will return, and in the, the arms are... You know, he says the same thing to us. Even on the Sabbath, do good. Never close for business. I expect something greater. I am something greater, and I expect something greater from you. Hand is stretched out. It's restored, and it's healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out. Why but there? Couldn't it say, and the Pharisees went out? If it started with, and the Pharisees went out, what would you assume was going to happen with the Pharisees? It was going to be positive. Iris, you're on top of it today. Okay? You're on top of it every day. Right? Even on the Sabbath. Uh, Instead, it says, but the Pharisees went out. And you know exactly what's going to happen. Something negative, write this, to conspire against him. And how to destroy him. We're aware of their motivations. More important 
are they aware of their motivations? Deep down, I'm not sure they were. More important question than all of them combined. How aware are you of your motivations? Why you do things? What you invest in? What you save up for? What you ignore? And how many of those things take you away from Jesus or bring you toward him? See, Jesus was aware of this. And he withdrew from them. And many followed him. This is uh, two sets of people have left now, right? Pharisees went away, and Jesus withdrew. Where'd the crowds go? Where'd the many people go? They went with Jesus. Why? Because doing good always draws a crowd. Doing good always draws a crowd. You become attractive. It works. So many followed him, and he healed them, the ones he liked, no, all of them. And ordered them not to make him known. What? You just, you just did a miracle. You ate on the Sabbath. I can't tell either of those stories. Got a text message this week. I love these kind of text messages. Scott, I understand. Why did Jesus do miracles and then tell people not to tell anyone that he had done a miracle? Doesn't make sense. It's counter-marketing. I said, no, actually it makes total sense because miracles were never the point. He wanted to draw attention away from the miracles because the point was faith in who Jesus was and knowing who Jesus was. He did miracles with a few people who were beyond hope, uh, allegedly, in order to get their attention and draw them into who Jesus was himself. If the miracles became popular and, and that's what people showed up for, then they'd just be coming for fire insurance and I want my hand to work and, hey, can I do that walk on water thing? Rather than faith, lordship, following and accepting God. You think about it that way, it's like, oh, Jesus was staying on task on purpose. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the, what? Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. He does this to fulfill a prophecy where it says, I'm not in the business of breaking reeds or quenching wicks. Doesn't that sound like he does restoration and he brings health? That's my purpose. Have your laws be about that. Do good always, even on Saturday or Sunday for us as Christians. You know why we do Sunday, right? Easter. 
It's a little holiday we do. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> but I love at the very end, it says, and he brings justice to victory. Which is ironic because that's what the Pharisees are asking for. They're asking for justice. So, so you want justice? Justice is coming. And you want to win? But we're going to win differently than you think. It's not going to go the way you want. You see, there's something greater going on here than you. That's one of the hardest things for Pharisees to learn. Right? What I call you guys again? What I call us? Right? But, verse 21, and in his name, the who? The Gentiles will hope. Hey, Pharisees, guess what? The guys who break all of the rules and are totally outside of the kingdom, they got hope. Why? Because I'm God and I say so. In fact, I didn't mention you in the prophecy. But I did mention them twice. Oh, I guess I got it wrong, folks. Uh, You're not Pharisees. You're Gentiles. Happy Sunday. Hey, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. If we're going to experience something great, namely God, we've got to buy into the idea that something greater than the temple is here. And what are the steps to that? What are the things that we really need to pay attention to if that's going to happen? One, we need to recognize this, that what they saw and said, the Pharisees came and they saw the disciples plucking the grains in the field, walking and eating on the side. That's what they saw. What they saw was really important to them. Saw is an experience. And for some of us, our experiences are starting to outrank who God is. Well, you know, I've only seen it this way. Well, you know, at that church, they always do it this way. You know, every church I've ever been at, they do it like this. I've never heard of, right? Have you heard these phrases? It's, it's, that, it's like something that we saw is all of a sudden really important. Why? I was there. I saw it. I was first person account. And when we get an experience, we latch on to it, and now we start drawing conclusions from it. Well, if I saw and it went just like this, then you know what? It must go this way. Therefore, I will make some parameters, some rules, some precepts. We will call them guidelines as to not offend. But make no mistake, I'm going to start controlling things by what I say. A story is very interesting in the way that it's told. The Pharisees saw something, their experience, and then they said something, also their experience. All focused and founded on who? Themselves. Right? This is why you're really happy that you're not Pharisees anymore, you're Gentiles. But what they saw and said ignored what Jesus said and the law read. I tried to make it rhyme. More importantly, let's have it make sense. Their experience was starting to trump, outrank what Jesus was teaching. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Let me explain it to you. Have you ever read anything, heard anything at church, had someone tell you, uh, have a revelation, if you will, in some kind of way that contradicted your experience, but you felt like it was godly? Has God ever contradicted your experiences? Absolutely. 
We call them miracles. Right? Miracles are normal. You know what's not normal? Our experiences. Experiences change. And there are more experiences out there than we experience. We are limited in what we experience. You know God is not limited in what he experiences? How cool is that? Therefore, should we listen to what he says? Yes. And folks, it is hysterical that he starts quoting scripture about David from 1 Samuel 21 about Ahimelech and Nod and the eating of the bread in the presence to the Pharisees who are supposed to know the law. It's the author of the law saying, I was there. I experienced it. In fact, I made sure it happened. Have you not read the priests on every Sabbath? Do you know who authored that stuff? No worries, folks, because you're going to do it all the time. You're going to let what you see and say outrank or ignore what God has said and how the law reads. Good news, you're Gentiles. He will find exceptions to the rules to try and keep you out of trouble, draw you back in. He might even use one of those loopy, lassoey rope things and, and pull you back in because this is how you miss it. When you let your experiences outrank God. It's dangerous. You know, you know what sacreds are? This is a word we don't use anymore. Back then they used the word sacred all the time. Right? Oh, we can't do this? That's sacred. Hey, watch where you're walking. That's what kind of ground? Sacred ground. Right? Uh, now we don't say that. We, we say things like priorities, responsibilities, investments, they're still, there are things that are important to us. When become really important to us, they become sacred. What God is teaching in this passage, in this story, in this direct interaction with Pharisees, he says, you have too many sacreds over me. And the message Jesus is getting across is this. There are no sacreds above him. In fact, you shall have no sacreds before me. I said it like that on purpose because it sounds very similar to something you would have heard before, maybe out of Exodus chapter 20, 10 commandments, right? What does it sound like? You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment one of the 10 commandments, right? You shall have no sacreds before me. Here's how you figure out what your sacreds are, right? You ask, what are your Sabbaths? What are the time frames that you protect? What are your temples? What are your places that are important to you? What rest, what times, what places, what sacreds do you elevate over Jesus? And here's how I want you to think about it, the way you sang it. We sang this morning, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Sinking sand. This is so much fun part about being a pastor. Ready? Uh, Folks, what are you? You're sinking sand. When you stand on your own, you are the sinking sand. 
I think I'm offended. No, not really. It's too bad everybody. But you know this? Although you're sinking sand, you were never meant to sink. You're meant to have hope. But when we start trying to stand on our own, that's when you go down. That's when you go down. Number two, they went out, led to, he withdrew. From there. Where's there? It's where they were. They went out. Pharisees left. Very, very interesting to me. When they left, so did he. That is a possible equation that exists. When you want out, he'll let you. You know, God almost never forces himself on people. It happens a few times in the scripture and it's glorious. It turns out amazing. It is wonderful. Job. Few others. Most every other time. Got a choice. And people get to decide, will they invest? Will they pursue? Will they engage? Will they question? Will they pray? Or not? It depends on whether you really want something greater. Can you experience something greater? What are you willing to do to get it? Scott, I'm going to give you a million dollars. What? Somebody said this to me one time. I'm, you want a million dollars? Yes. Yes, please. Thank you. May I have another? What's the catch? Oh, no real catch, but I'm willing to give you a million dollars. Okay. What do I have to do? I said, well, let's make a deal. I want you to pray every day. What? Yeah, I want you to pray. Let's say, how about you prayed every day for a decade? If you do it and you can prove it, at the end of the decade, I'll give you a million dollars. Now I think the guy's messing with me. I know he's messing with me. Million bucks? Every day? Sure, I'll go along. Yeah, I'll pray every day. What do you want? You want me to call you every day? Pray with you? You want me to write down my prayer every day? I'll keep a log? How are we going to do this? He says, hold on, before we get into the logistics of this, I want to ask you a question. Uh, if you prayed every day for a decade, would you have a greater relationship? Would you have an amazing relationship with God? You need to be farther along. Wow, you were there? Yeah, uh, of course we would. I would. I said, cool. Um, let me ask you this. If you had an amazing relationship with God, would it be worth you, to you more than a million dollars? Well, well, sure. Said awesome. Pray every day for a decade, and I'll make sure you get more than a million dollars. Wait, I'm not getting the million bucks? No, you're going to get more than it. You mean I'm getting something greater, but I'm not getting the million bucks? Yeah. I remember, this is one of the volunteer guys in my youth ministry playing this game with me in my head. I was very bitter about it until I started to really think about it. more I pray, the more I stay there instead of leaving, 
the more I lean in, ask him my questions, tell him my frustrations, my emotions. Uh, how about this? The more I yell at him. You ever yelled at God? It's amazing. It, it's, it's soothing. Hey, this is how I feel right now, God, and you're going to hear all of it. What would that do to your relationship with the Lord? You see, some people, they just walk away. He says, bye. Not going to chase you. Not going to force you. But see, here's the thing, last thing. When you start really understanding that listening can lead to a stretch. That, that guy heard Jesus in front of everybody say, stretch out your hand. He had a decision to make. Am I going to stretch out my hand? And he does it. He does it publicly. He does it in faith. Everybody put your hand up. Everybody put your hand up. Kind of clinch it. Half clinch, not tight. What would it take for you to do this in public? Do it. How about this? The idea is something greater in life is going on than you that you get to be able to even open your hand. Do you really have control over that? You have the idea that you can open your hand every single day? Who controls that? You have very little influence over that. Oh, really? Because it feels like when I open my hand, I'm opening my hand. I close it, I open it, I close it, I open No, I'm talking about the fact that you still exist. That you still have parts that work. You still have relationships that are engaged. Are you willing to listen to that guy? Let's play a game. You're going to be the pastor. Ready? You're writing a sermon. It's first Sunday. You're doing the third point, and you've got to this sentence, listening can lead to a stretch. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, I can save more ink, more time, because you've got to have a fill-in. But you can make it simpler for the crowd. You can e go easy on the ink on the printer when you print all these things by shortening the sentence. And I can shorten the sentence to listening leads to a stretch. I can take can out. I can add an S to the lead. And I got a shorter sentence. Uh, five words instead of six. Listening leads to a stretch. And you're about to go to print and you stop. I say, nope, I got to write it. Listening can lead to a stretch. Why, as the pastor, don't want to lead the, the, the sheep astray, why'd you make that change? Because there's a choice. You can listen and ignore point one. You can listen and you can walk away. Or you can listen and you can pray, God, I want something greater. I want you. It's the choice we get to make. What stretch would you like to see God do in your life? What if he stretched you? Oh, my hand's fine, Scott. We just did that exercise. It totally worked. No, no, no. Be creative. Use your imagination. What could God do next? 
I want to know why the guy's there in the first place. Don't ever come to first service. They miss out on this stuff. Why is withered hand guy there in the first place? Ultimately, he wanted a stretch. He showed up in faith, hoping that there was a stretch. And he got much more than that. He got to learn about Gentiles. He got to learn about the law. He got to learn about the presence of God, not just the existence of God, but what happens when God's actually on the scene, walking on the planet, interacting with you. What stretch do you want? How about this? How about you get restored and healthy? You get moving. And you get involved in the next person's stretch. Why are we here? Feel better about ourselves? Scott needs a paycheck? I need something to do on Sunday mornings? Folks, I could be watching a World Cup match right now. Right now, I am missing out on World Cup match. Why are we here? We want to have a inclusive, interactive experience with God. And we want to get that to other people. Single people, divorced people, tattooed people, uh, pierced people, or none of the above. We want to reach Pharisees. I hate saying it that way, <laughs> but we do. We want to reach our kids. We want to reach all of Pleasanton in which we don't have a street fair for anymore. We, we come here to be stretched. Not entertained. Not coddled. Not patted on the back. What's your stretch? This morning we have communion and I would love to jump into it just right now. You see, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus says, remember that I'm a stretcher. Remember that I'm something greater. Was I, when I was a kid and I first started doing communion, I would, I would get to communion time and I would get a little nervous petrified really because it's time for communion but I didn't know what to do I mean I know I take the bread and I take the juice and the whole thing I know that but like my what do I pray what do I what do I do I have to say anything do I do it with somebody can I do it by myself I was very paranoid about this right remember undiagnosed OCD type A right all that black and white I never forget a pastor telling me one time he said look you can pray whatever you want but if you if you'd like a suggestion and that was when I was in. It's like, yeah, they can pray whatever they want. Whatever he suggests, that's what I'm doing because I don't know what to do. Here's your suggestion if you don't know what to do. Thank God for when he's been greater. When has he been great? Thank him for it. Remember when he's been greater. Secondly, maybe you, maybe you want to ask, uh, God, where do you need to be greater in my life? Third option. God, how do you want me to be greater? 
how do you want me stretched? Three different options, do one, do all three, whatever. It's your time. Amen? On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. A few hours later, literally, he did it. He took the cup, he said, this, is, this, this wine is the blood of a new covenant. The laws have changed. I'm about hope, restoration, healing. This is my blood shed for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? His presence. You know, when you tell an, uh, an Israelite this, every time you do this, they did it every day. Every day. Amen? Father, we thank you for this sacrifice, this example, this show of power, this show of heart, this show of plan that you orchestrated with your son and your spirit. We thank you for the triumph. Lord, forgive us, we fall short. We try to stand on our own. We elevate some of the things we think are sacred. We put them ahead of you. Forgive us. I thank you for the times that you've been greater in our lives. Increase those times. Be greater in our lives yourself. And show us how to be greater. We pray all of this and participate in this. In your son Jesus name. Amen. We have two stations this morning. One on either side. Come on up. Enjoy yourself. You can go down the hall to get back to your seat.